I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. Here with me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The Celtics have turned it around. We're all excited. Mike Minkoff, are you excited? I am excited. Tristan Thompson Island has a burgeoning population all of a sudden. It was just you. Two? You were like starving on that island with a, with a, a picture painted on a, a volleyball. It was a basketball, a Spalding. It was a Spalding. <laughs> was a Spalding, not a Wilson. Yeah. No, Did you get anyone to join you on that island, Mike? I'm saying, yeah, the population Who? is burgeoning. I don't know. No one on this podcast. It's unimportant. Just know, okay. people are flooding to my island. <laughs> the Celtics have won six in a row, eight in one in their last nine, ten of their last thirteen games. We are recording this as the Chicago Bulls game is starting. So we don't know the outcome of that. Uh, let's talk about trends. What are you seeing in the last few games? What is causing the Celtics to play this well? Mike, can I'll throw it to you first. Well, the reason that the population on Tristan Thompson Island is burgeoning is because Tristan Thompson has been an absolute uh, defensive juggernaut unto himself Um over the over this period, the Celtics net rating with him on the court in our lat like since he returned from his injury, which I think is not so coincidentally coinciding with this win streak. Um, he, our net rating has been 17.6. The only Celtics regular that has a higher net uh, rating is the other kind of defensive juggernaut unto himself, Grant Williams, who after playing out of position for the majority of the first, you know, pre-trade the pre-trade deadline portion of this season, while Stevens was trying to juggle Tice and Thompson and Robert Williams in the in the five spot, um, now all of a sudden Grant Williams can slide into his more natural kind of undersized five uh, and occasional four roles, and you know we saw him put the clamps on Jokic a couple of times. We've seen him play really reliable kind of center of the defense um, defense consistently. He's, he's a good ball mover when he's in the right position on offense and he can operate a little bit out of the elbow or he can just stand in the corners and, and is now decent from three. Um, the, the Celtics have, you know, the improved play and the, the positional fit for Tristan Thompson and Grant Williams is really solidifying the Celtics bench, um, which is al- and allowing or reducing kind of the, the volatility in the Celtics performance over the course of a full game, which I think has been a real key in this win streak. I'm seeing that the rotations are looking really clear at this point. And Adam Spinella, friend of the pod, wrote about this on, on Celtics blog uh, today, we talked about this when we were discussing 
uh, what was needed in in um, at the trade deadline and and reviewing the trade for Fournier. Uh, that that one of the things that that did is it clarified the rotation, which we are frustrated by Brad's inability to to do himself. But Danny Ainge did it did it for him. Um, and I talked about this at the halfway point about what the Celtics need going forward. I said they needed some three guys to emerge as rotation players. This was before Robert Williams was starting. I said Grant Williams is is one of those guys. Romeo might might be one of those guys. Pritchard appeared to be, and we're seeing it now. So we've got JT, JB, Kemba Smart, and Williams starting. And then Fournier is clearly the sixth man here. Tristan Thompson coming off the bench. Mike, you, you, you're in love with him, we know. Uh, but he's actually uh, providing some value. I mean, as a bench player, I'm okay with it. Pritchard, I expect inconsistency from him as a rookie, but I love what I'm seeing from him off the bench. That's eight guys. That's a real rotation. And I think you can play all of those guys in the playoffs. And that doesn't even get to Romeo and his wing defense, Grant Williams. I'm still not as high on Grant. I'm still, I feel like he's got a very specific role unless he's shooting high uh, efficiency and and um, volume from three. I feel like uh, he's really just like a, a small ball four. He's not really long enough to guard most fives. He's not quick enough to guard most threes. Um, so he, he only fit and he, and he provides uh, and defense is where the value is there unless he's he's shooting threes. So I want to see that an uptick from him in that. Luke Cornett, I love what I'm seeing with him. Uh, and Adam Spinella wrote about uh, the impact of him as a stretch five. He also provides some solid uh, defense as a big. Um, I don't know if you can play him against the Embiid's of the world uh, for very long, but that also doesn't well, get to Ojale, who's been solid this year, or Parker, which who we'll talk about later. You also, I mean, you also can't, I, I just find it very silly that you were like, so skeptical. First of all, the dismissiveness of Tristan Thompson genuinely needs to stop. I I, I actually think he should, should I st- I'm back to thinking he should probably be the starter over Robert Williams in the playoffs. Um, he's just, he's pretty much been in the right place on defense every moment he's been on the court since his return from injury and in the handful of games before he got injured or, you know, was in COVID health and safety protocols. He's figured out the system. He looks exactly like the guy that Josh and I were so hype about um, when we first signed him. Uh, he's, he's really, really good. Um, but you <laughs> singing yeah, the but, praises of Luke but, Cornett while, while dismissing Grant Williams, I just find very silly. I mean, Luke Cornett is solid, but the the juxtaposition of excitement about those two was interesting, it's, Adam. It's relative to expectations. Cornette, I had never heard of before we got him, and he's actually playable. Grant Williams I, was like our sixth man. We were counting on him to provide real minutes on this team coming into the season, and he has uh, underwhelmed. We're we talking about Grant Williams or Tristan Thompson, Adam? Grant Williams. That was Grant Williams, the second part. Yeah. So, so Mike, Mike, you seem like you're 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 taking it a little personal because you like Tristan Thompson so much. The fact that another guy likes Luke Cornett, why do you why do you have to take that so personally? Because the the truth is that like Tristan Thompson's skill set is better suited to come off the bench. It's better suited to be like that offensive rebounder role who can also defend and help you win playoff games. But he's not big enough to go up against 
Embiid. Like he's not a he was starting literally the starting center. In he was the, literally the starting center for a championship. What are you talking about? Right, but his athleticism has decreased significantly to the point where we got to have him be in the right spot at the right time for him to be really good for us, and he's finally doing that, right? You, you, but, genu- you genuinely believe Robert Williams is a better player today than Tristan Thompson? Yes. Not higher ceiling, do, but yeah. better player today. You, yeah, today, today he blocks more shots. Today he can offensive rebound almost as well. Today he's, he... he changes the the dimensions of the game with his lob catching ability today he shoots 72 percent from the field though when's the last time we had a big man shooting 72 percent tristan thompson don't shoot that he's like what 20 points below that percentage wise so look he's he's a good uh really good player i'm really glad we got him and he's finally playing to his potential at this stage of his career but that's a role for the bench big is is grab the offensive rebounds be in the right spot, bring some toughness and grit. Like that's the ideal role off the bench. What we're talking about really is is both of them are going to be playing heavy minutes with starters. Uh, once we once the rotation gets down to eight in the playoffs, it's not going to be that big of a difference. And I'd rather have him come come off the bench and and more anchor that that unit. And but I mean, are we thinking that that Grant Williams and Tristan Thompson, as good as they've been as a package coming off the bench defensively? Has that been the major, you know, reason for major trend for this six-game winning streak and and the change in in play? You know, the reason the Celtics have kind of turned things around, which I think they have. I think. I mean, so. I mean, re- I th- I thought that might have been, but the reality is Grant Williams paired with Robert Williams paired with Jalen Brown paired with Jason Tatum. Those those kind of two-man units have all been performing really well. Similarly, Tristan Thompson in all of those kind of two, two man dynamics. So except for with Robert Williams, those two obviously don't play together. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think this all kind of connects with, with what Adam was saying about just there being clarity in roles. Generally speaking, I think all of Robert Williams, Tristan Thompson and Grant Williams, when put in the right positions can be, can clearly be difference makers and, and very, very positive difference makers. Um, and they have more opportunity to do that with the roster as currently configured than they did previously. So, you know, it, it all is connected. I just, I do think, uh, and I, I know it's an anathema to, to have this opinion in Celtics, in Celtics nation, but, um, I still think Robert, like Robert Williams started really, really strong in those first couple of games after the trade deadline, he's been noticeably more hit or miss since those first couple of games post-trade deadline he's obviously been uh injured the last few games which by all accounts is relatively minor um i just think he's still less consistent um and and maybe that's the argument to put him with the starters and to put him with the better players uh because if if he is hitting his high that just brings our starting unit to a higher level and if he's not he's got you know tatum and brown to help carry carry that uh but against the you know i would i would feel more comfortable today with Tristan Thompson defending Embiid than I would with Robert Williams by far. Wow. So I think the reason that the Celtics have turned things around here has a lot to do with their ball movement too. I actually think that's the biggest reason. That's the biggest change that I've seen. I haven't seen a whole lot of the your turn, my turn stuff. I feel like we're getting the one more pass. We're passing up the good shot for the great shot. Um, We're seeing guys move the ball 
quicker than before. Um, you know, the whole Marcus Smart touch pass thing has become a little bit contagious. And when guys are struggling to find, you know, where the angle is, they're immediately thinking, and you can see it, where's Brown or where's Tatum? Like, I need to get them the ball right now. And so guys are driving and getting to the paint and finding the skip pass to Brown and Tatum on purpose to get those guys open looks. And to me, like, that type of team work on offense is the reason this team has turned things around. There's no question that the ball movement has been just way, 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 way better. Um, you know, it's – and there, there's, like, many dimensions to it. I, I think Tatum um, in particular has been playing with much better pace. And he, he's, he's I think, was probably one of the, the principal culprits of holding on to the ball and surveying the, the defense and, you know – walking the ball up the court and now he's kind of consistently running the ball up the court. I do actually wonder how much that kind of call out from Kendrick Perkins and the subsequent conversation they actually had, they allegedly had um, was, was a part of what, what helped Tatum lock back in and be, you know, get to this higher level. So whether or not the perk deserves the credit, whatever, whatever the conspiring factors uh, <laughs> good on them. Cause Tatum's Tatum's been great. Um, but another another variable is, you know, Josh, when we first acquired Kemba Walker, you talked about, or may, maybe not quite when we first, but early on for sure, talked about kind of envisioning Kemba growing into kind of an, an increased playmaker role um, and, and how, you know, if he could really adopt that and, and evolve into more of that playmaking kind of facilitator type, that would really elevate our ceiling in the playoffs. And I think we're starting to see uh, maybe in part because Kemba's, you know, offensive, you know, his shooting has become less, less reliable. His shooting percentages are definitely down this season, but he, in the last, in recent games, his, his assists has, have gone, have gone up and he's still kind of a jitterbug, right? He's so shifty. He can still get mostly where he wants um, and we even saw him, him shooting like, more like the Kemba of old against the Warriors. Uh, but if he, he seems to have really truly embraced that kind of third option, uh, place in the, in the pecking order and is, is continuing to improve as a playmaker and as a facilitator, he's still a little hit or miss. He tries some crafty stuff that often doesn't work the way he thinks it will. Um, but, but he, he can, you know, he's much better getting into the teeth of the defense than uh, with, with the potential to pass than Brown or Tatum at this point in their careers. Um, so I, I would say that Tatum's increased pace walkers walkers kind of increasing evolution as a playmaker are two of the main reasons for the increased ball movement. Do yeah, you Kemba's averaging. You see anything else influencing? Yeah, it? Kemba's averaging six assists a game in the last fifteen games, and you know his game is so limited in a certain way. Like if he's not hitting threes off the the ball screens, and you know th then it's really just that mid range because despite a lot of the Kyrie esque finishes he's had lately at the rim, he really struggles to finish at the rim. And really doesn't even look to shoot there. So if he's able to do the Steve Nash where he dribbles under the rim and, and tries to find guys, 
either the big at the front rim or or the skip paths to across to the to the wing or the corner. I mean, that's now he's really making things happen, and he's thrown some really amazing skip passes from underneath the hoop to the opposite wing on those drives, and that's where he you know that's where he becomes the floor general and not just the scoring point guard. Uh, I think he's really. It seems like he's been hitting those threes more often and just playing better. The stats don't back that up. I was wrong about that. The eye test shows that. So I'm wondering, is it is it just he's being more clutch? Because he's definitely hitting some threes down the stretch that we've we've missed. I I think he's definitely moving better. Uh, I but the but the shooting hasn't been there. He is missing a lot of uh, a lot of shots that historically he he missed. I, I just one last thought um, on Kemba. You know, it's I'm uh, my my stance on kind of small point guards is pretty well chronicled. I it, I've had kind of a a concern about Kemba um, as a result, even though I really like him. Um, just to kind of highlight this, so like my feeling with Kemba and even Kyrie to a degree, though Kyrie's bigger, is like if you have kind of a minus a, a small and def- minus defensively point guard, they better be transcendental on offense to to make up for it. And, and it's not a fair comparison, but by point of comparison, in, in ESPN's real plus minus, in offensive real plus minus, so like Kemba has, you know, a respectable 2.5. That is 16th out of all point guards. By contrast, uh, Kyrie Irving is 4.89, so basically double it. Damian Lillard is 6.6. Steph Curry is 10.67. Now that's because mm-hmm. Steph Curry is absolutely ludicrously insanely good, but like he's how good a minus defensive point guard has to be to win a championship. Basically like Kyrie did it playing next to the arguably the best player ever. And then Steph Curry was able to do it playing next to two future hall of famers in uh, and obviously three future Hall of Famers as well, but in Clay and, and Draymond before Durant got there. Like, so that was always my worry with signing Kemba is like, that's kind of the bar for how good offensively a little point guard needs to be to make up for being little and not, not a plus on defense. And, but Kemba's not that good offensively, but right. he makes up for it with other things like uh, championship point guard Kyle Lowry. They both take a lot of charges and they're willing to sacrifice their body defensively. And I wonder if that is good enough. That's, that's my, I mean, that's the argument well, for it is Kemba for, is it that is for that's Lowry. good enough. It's not for yeah, Kemba because Ky- he's too small. Yeah. Kyle Lowry, A, is a much better defender overall than, um, than Kemba. And B, Kyle Lowry is a better playmaker. So that's, that's kind of where I was going is like, if Kemba can really elevate his playmaking then 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 it it offsets some of that like i still worry about it i'm not convinced like it's doable i i think it's it's doable to to kind of get to championship level with someone like kemba but i i think you have to actively overcome a little bit of a a hurdle to do so um and i think i think kyle lowry is a you know he's well, he's obviously shown it, but I, I just think because he's, you know, he's more like Marcus Smart. Like, Smart is never going to be a defensive liability. Kyle Lowry is never going to be a defensive liability. 
Brad Stevens would say that one of the trends is that this team is healthier. I don't see that. For this Chicago game, we're missing four of our top six. Uh, for the last game against Golden State, three of the top six. Unless Brad Stevens is talking about Kemba Walker's health and Jason Tatum's health, I don't see how we're getting healthier. I, I do expect us to by the end of the season, but uh, not yet. Uh, are you guys? I mean, does Kemba look healthier to you? I mean, we we need him to be the Kemba of old for us to make a real run in the playoffs this year. His his scoring out, out of the pick and roll is down from last year and from his Charlotte years. Um, and, and, uh, his, his, um, shooting percentages are not as high, but, but Josh, I actually see him trying to get into the lane more lately, uh, to get layups up than he used to. Um, I, I, I wonder if he's, his body is sort of coming back after such a long layoff with, with his injury. Well, I think some of the national media is calling him out a little bit and saying he's got to be the third guy. He's got to step up. Kemba's the key. You know, I know Shaq and Dwayne Wade have mentioned that. So I wonder if he's trying to prove some doubters wrong now and, and feels like he's got a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder because there's some chatter about him. Um, but yeah, I think that might, there might be a little of that going on as well. Like he, he knows he's got to prove himself when shooting that three, the open three late in the game. He has to be clutch. Like like Mike said, he's gotta he's gotta hit open threes, he's gotta facilitate, and he's gotta take charges if he's not gonna be transcendental offensively to make up for the, the liability issue of him being so small defensively. I do love his charges. They're amazing. He 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 got what, two, three against Golden State? Like one or two of them in really big time moments. Um yeah, it, it's pretty it's pretty fantastic. Such a contrast uh, to Kyrie too. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Kyrie, Kyrie will like run the other way before taking a charge. <laughs> we have not talked enough about Jason Tatum in this run. I mean, if Brad's talking about Tatum's health, he if, if he is healthier now than he was a month ago in his return from COVID, I would believe it. That What was it, 53 points the other night, 44 against Golden State, winning the shootout against Curry. He has put this team on his back, and, and he's totally producing. We should, we really should just talk about that Golden State game. Like we should, we should scrap everything we just talked about and just go on and gush about Tatum for like three hours just about that Golden State performance. I mean, Steph Curry, I've watched him shoot these crazy shots and make them for over a decade now, and it still makes me shake my head. Like, like I've never seen anything like this. And that three that Curry hit at the the end of the game, yeah, in the corner to to bring it back to two after Kemba's three, was like absurd because it was so unsurprising. (laughs) Like. It's still the level of unsurprise. It's still I can't. I'm like I've never. I, I can't believe I'm watching this. Like, it doesn't it's one surprise. Of the most it amazing amazes things I've me. Ever seen. It amazes me. So but the I don't fact think that Tatum is outdueling him—that's what's most impressive. It. I mean, I don't know if you guys had this thought while you watched the game, but it, I mean, didn't you kind of think like LeBron versus Pierce? Didn't I, I was think really? I was thinking more like Bird versus you Dominique, were? but yeah. You didn't you didn't flash back yeah. to just like two all time greats just kind of slugging it out in a shooting duel. I mean, I I thought it was a great performance. I didn't I didn't go back historically like that. I didn't put it on that kind of a level. Uh, maybe I should. I mean, the, the stakes obviously weren't yeah. the same. The stakes obviously weren't the same as LeBron Pierce, to be clear. Uh, like, but it it was just so it wasn't it wasn't the the same level of moment, but it was just 
it was just watching like two great players be great at, you know at the same time it's like every time and you know an espn or tnt executive you know grabs one of these games this is what they exactly yeah. what they hope right this is like the perfect um <laughs> result of their scheming <laughs> and and when it's realized it's just that you can't help but just be so happy you're a fan of the sport in that moment and, and obviously Tatum, you know, there's been some stuff made about him using an inhaler and the process that he's had to go through to get back and how he just hasn't felt right and probably still doesn't. And it's, you know, knowing that we have this guy who is still improving and knowing that we have like such a young team that's always improving and that always is, is just kind of ready. I mean, I said it on the last pod last week that like this team is always one week away from greatness this, this year. And I feel like anytime you have that young squad, you're looking for when is it going to click? And we've seen it click for individuals like with Tatum last year after the all-star break. And we're seeing it again now with him finally getting back from COVID hopefully. And um, I, I just think that this team has turned the corner. I think it's pretty obvious if it was a four game winning streak, I would still be questioning it. Now that it's a six-game winning streak and it's kind of continued for more than one week at a time, I feel like this is it's pretty clear that we've turned things around. It's pretty clear we're playing a different style of ball. It's pretty clear that the trades have reduced the, the uh, confusion about roles and responsibilities and playing time. I mean, now, now we got a bunch of guys vying for playing time and not sure about their roles, but they don't matter as much. Like, whether it's it's you know, Neesmith or Pritchard or Ojale, like it doesn't really matter because we're talking about 10 minutes. You know, the one thing that I'd kind of like to see less is is Kemba and Pritchard on the court at the same time. I'm hoping when Fournier gets back that that uh, solves that, that pairing. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, I um, and, the, and just the fact that we have Fournier in the bag here ready to go, you know, and, and whatever we get from him is gravy, it puts us in an exciting place i think as celtics fans right now i was a little weary like the, the most solemn i've gotten is like i feel like before a week ago like those two weeks which happens to be the exact same time that mo wagner was on the roster um and so kind of I, I feel like now that that's gone like i'm free to be as happy as i want to be as a celtics fan these days and anyone in the media or any fans who are still hating on this team because they're not convinced yet this is a young team, so eventually something clicks. And, and you can wait it out or you can be a hater. Josh, we talked about this team being soft and, and certain players being soft and how they just didn't have the, the type of grit you needed. Um, they're a young team, so that's if they did have that, it would be exceptional. Are you seeing more resilience from this team now? Um, I, I don't know. No, not, not like astoundingly not you know if so it's only moderate but it's not enough to really gush about Wait, really yeah, yeah i'm surprised I'm seeing that much they're winning close games that they lost at the beginning they're, of the they're season. winning they're winning yeah they're they were terrible what there were some atrocious record in like close games in the fourth quarter for the whole you know pre-trade the deadline portion of the season and now all of a sudden they like can't lose them and they're scoring um, a lot more in the second half. So I think their point differential in the second half is, is in the top. Yeah, but I chalk that up to playing better. I think that that's what's going on. I'm not seeing a personality shift in terms of their grittiness or certain players being showing more guts than they used to. 
I think things are just finally coming together because we, we've had this stick to to just keep going. And we've kept the faith, you know, and while some fans and media were worried about, oh no, is Tatum and Brown going to leave? And through all the fire, this person, fire, that, you know, like all that chatter, this team's just kind of stuck together. And, you know, you want to play well at the end of the year, not at the beginning of the year. You want to, and, and that's when we're starting to come on. So I think it's just a matter of, we've been consistent in terms of our stick to We've just kept going. And eventually you're going to start playing the right way. Eventually something's going to click. Interesting. Can I, can I go back to Tatum real quick? Cause we, we kind of, uh, straight, straight away, but I, I did want to, um, uh, just kind of plug a, a great article written by uh, Nikias Duncan at basketballnews.com um, where he wrote it after the Lakers game, which where Tatum had a relatively pedestrian, especially for him of late kind of 14, five and five, but Nikias did kind of a great breakdown using, you know, a mixture of short videos and pictures of the way that Tatum has matured as kind of a, a, a real-time decision maker in in kind of manipulating the defense around his score first orientation but you know as a, as a capable and willing passer and when once he kind of gets the defense where it is and so you know operating out of the pick and roll and and kind of using using kind of his his dribble moves and and getting into his bag to set up his defenders put them where he wants kind of read how they're reacting to his his penetration into the lane and then you know either slipping and and getting in getting to the hoop making good shot making the right read and and right pass he's just you know the game is is slowing down for him in that and and i think a, a key distinction right is tatum will never be He's never going to be LeBron. He's never going to be Luca, right? He's not a pass-first orchestrator, um, but he, but he is kind of clearly having this growth uh, and evolving in his ability to kind of control uh, control how what the defense does and how it reacts to them to him um, and and kind of orchestrate uh, in his way as a as a you know absolutely elite scorer. Let's talk about this trade. Uh, I'm sorry, the signing of Jabari Parker, uh, dumping Mo Wagner. We haven't talked about that yet. Um, it's this is an end of the bench type of, of transaction, so it's not going to be a huge impact on the team. But I just want to share some thoughts about it. Uh, there was some head scratching in Celtics Nation when they signed Jabari Parker. It made total sense to me. Uh, he's I think he provides bench scoring at a position that uh, of need. Grant Williams isn't doing it as much as we hoped he would this year. And Jabari Parker scores 20 points per game in, per 36 minutes. Did so with real minutes as recently as last year. Uh, he also looked reasonably athletic last year. Hammer dunking on people um, for the three teams he played for in just last year. He looked heavier and more out of shape in his three games uh, with Sacramento this year. And, and didn't quite look in shape to me um, for the Celtics in the one game he played. But he, he, I was hoping for a little more than what I saw on defense in that Celtics game because he looked engaged and active on defense uh, than he was earlier in his career with, with Sacramento. Um, I think 
obviously he hasn't even been through a practice yet with the Celtics. So there was a lot left to be desired in terms of his understanding of the system on both offense and defense. But this is a guy with real scoring talent, with real basketball intelligence. He just turned 26 last month. Um, And in the last three years, he's a good three-point shooter from the corners at 38%. Um, only 20, he's, he's really poor above the break, uh, shooting only 28%. Um, I know Adam Taylor tweeted out, uh, some numbers about that and, and spoke on, on this podcast feed about basically, um, Jabari Parker's role being as a spot up shooter f- from the corner, kind of the Grant Williams role run to the corner. Um, and I disagree with that. I think he actually, uh, he's an old school scorer. He's got mid range talent. Um, and he showed that in the first game with the Celtics. I don't think he's going to run to to the corner. Um, no, Adam. I think I, I think we got to give the hat tip to Adam Taylor for doing the research and and realizing that he actually has some good percentages on that corner three. It's the only shot from three that he has good percentages at. Yeah. Um, but I agree that with you that that's, that's exactly role. that's exactly his role yeah. is, is bully yeah. ball, small ball five, and. You know, hopefully, hopefully, give more offense than what you let up on defense because his defense was. Yeah, bad. I was gonna say, Adam. Yeah, I was gonna oh, say, uh, Adam. That's shame on you for expecting more on defense. He cannot move laterally. You know, like absolutely, he tore he tore an ACL in both knees, right? Yeah, in back to uh, back remember. years in his first two seasons. Yeah, and they yeah, picked so on, they picked on him. It was, but it was but look, switching. it's not just. It's not just his physical limitations that that make his defense disastrous. I mean, his angles. No, he was on bad on defense outs, before. He called. <laughs> he just in that one game, like the first game, he had the two turnovers right away, and then literally gave up like six points right away on defense because, you know, he he gave the guy the entire baseline to drive on the closeout to the three pointer in the corner, and he he called the ice, you know, so so the the guard defender forced his man towards him, and and then he just leaves. You know, just switches back right back to his to the big man and gives the, the the guard the drive to the layup. It's it's like mentally, he's terrible defensively. My expectation to, was that on a Brad Stevens team, he will not get minutes unless he actually uh, figures out how to be in the right spot on defense and hustles. I, I I'm not sure that's true. I think. Because I, I think he's going not based to be on the minutes he got in, the, in that one game. Yeah, well, yeah. I and I and I, but I think it was in those. I mean, look, he obviously wasn't net positive for us that game, um, and frankly, a, a, a meaningful reason why we won. Uh, he had some really big plays down the stretch. He, he he was, despite all the limitations we just talked about on defense, with Robert Williams out, he proved he was a much better option than Luke Cornett against a team as fast and that moves the ball as well as Golden State does. Luke Cornett was just, you know, he was he was basically a curtain, uh, not there um, in the in the minutes he got in the first half. And I think Stevens very wisely um, uh, did not play Cornett in the second half as a result. So, you know, I think he's going to more often than not be used in those types of uh, situations where the other team is going small and that's putting pressure on our bigs, especially if we're down a big. I, I don't think we're going to need him much if both Robert Williams and um, Tristan Thompson and Grant Williams are all healthy unless we need like an offensive change of pace option. But I, I don't think his defense is ever going to dictate his playing time, Is in short. Like, it, it's going to be lineup dependent as, 
as far as or matchup dependent, I should say. And then if we just need kind of an offensive punch because he can put the ball in the hoop. He should be motivated because this is, I would expect, his last chance in the NBA. He's never been on a playoff team uh, that has had much success. He, he did go to the playoffs four years ago with Milwaukee, made it to the second round. Um, and it, the biggest piece of this is the contract. It's reported as a two-year deal, second year non-guaranteed, or at least mostly non-guaranteed. I, ex- uh, I have been wrong about that sort of a thing before where Denny Ainge makes a move and I assume cap implications that turn out not to be true in a frustrating way. But that is my assumption at this point. And so if that is the case uh, and the second year is team-friendly, then if he makes an impact this year, great. You keep him next year. Uh, at, I think it's $2.2 million. If not, you cut him or you trade him to a team that can cut him and save money. And the loss here is Mo Wagner, who clearly had no future with this team and whose contract was up at the end of the, the year. And if Mo could shoot threes, I think he'd be a player with some value. But he, he can't. <laughs> Um, unfortunately he can't. So it's interesting that Luke Cornett has had far more value than Mo Wagner. Um, and I can see Cornett having a role with the team in the future. Um, but Keith Smith wrote that basically at this point, Wagner was a fifth big man that he was counting Grant Williams as a five. Um, I don't know that I see Williams as a five, but I, but I agree in, in theory with that idea. Um, so you get rid of somebody that Josh hates, (laughs) for a guy that has some potential and, and has some contract value. Um, and I <clears throat> I wonder if a part of this was also that Taco Fall played fairly decent defense on Joel Embiid and is eligible for the playoffs as two-way guys now are. Um, so you did not need another center on this team. Uh, Mo Wagner as a five was, was too duplicative, even with all of our injuries. Well, you want to talk about, you know, improving the grit potential. You do that by... Uh, getting rid of a guy who has no grit in Mo Wagner. I mean, that guy was just whining all the time and, you know, did so in his career with Washington as well. He was, he, he may be my least favorite player in the entire league right now. This, this is very evident. Um, <laughs> your, your distaste for Mo. Jabal Parker is a guy who does play with energy and does play with grit and plays some bully ball. He's not afraid to bang, like even though he's undersized for, for the five, which is really what he is at this point in his career. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, just addition by subtraction, in my opinion. I had um, one other observation from the Warriors game that I I wanted to point out. Um, There was a point where we had a lineup, I think it was in the second quarter of Jabari Parker, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, um, Peyton Pritchard, and I can't remember who the fifth guy was. And the thought I had was, at the, well, at the time, I was like, what the heck is Brad doing? But then, you know, by the end of the game, Jabari Parker is making big plays. And, and my macro takeaway was, this is what happens when you have stable management. Is, you know, Danny comes out, gives Stevens full backing. Stevens has the confidence to be able to bring these guys in and mix and match even this late in the season. And when we're in kind of a point where we're starting to standings watch a little bit and like Stevens throws Jabari Parker right into the mix and Jabari Parker comes out and, and makes an impact when I think 
the if it were up to the three of us, I don't, I don't know. I'll speak for myself. I don't think I would have had the uh, stones to put Jabari Parker in against like a scorching hot uh, Steph Curry Warriors team um, in his first game without a practice under his belt. Well, I, so, especially after he played poorly in his first stint out there. Exactly. Back in the game. Yeah, I would not have. Right. So, you know, it's just for all, you know, all the people that were kind of going after Brad's, you know, trying to after Brad's job and after Danny and like there are ups and downs. There's ebb and flow in a season. There's especially a season like this. Um, and and in the macro, you get you get kind of buy in. You get like like Jabari Parker now wants to play that much harder for Brad Stevens because he got that opportunity because he you know the coach showed faith in him. Um, that, that just builds a really important kind of foundation of trust and, and like kind of loyalty. So just, uh, just kind of shining a light on, on the value of the Celtics management and and how that could kind of pay dividends. I don't know. Do you think I'm, I'm giving that too much, uh, (laughs) too much emphasis here? Yes. You could say the same thing about his, his trust in Tremont waters, keeping, Keep putting him out there. I'm done with Tremont. Is there not a another two way guy that would uh, potentially provide more value? In the I'm league? sadly done with Tremont now too. We had a good run, Tremont. Mike, you mentioned you. Uh, standings. Watching the standings, this team is five games above 500, tied for fourth place in the East. Uh, I predicted they'd be eight games above 500, so that looks eminently doable. Um, 538 has them at 41 and uh, 31. Now, if I if those numbers are correct, um, but we are now actually watching the standings. Mike, you and I had a, an off podcast conversation about the Atlanta Hawks and and how we're tied with them, and that the Hawks have the tiebreakers. So we actually should be watching the standings, assuming this team can continue to play above five hundred ball. It is important that this team is is uh, in the four five spot where they currently are, uh, because they you really want to avoid. Uh, the seven to ten play-in game. Uh, I I would if the Celtics had to play play-in games, that would worry me. I, I they've been that inconsistent this year. Look, we've been uh, a game out of fourth place for the entire year now, and and here we are, even with the Hawks ready to take over that fourth spot. Um, yeah, only four and a half games out of first, and so. With with what fifteen games left in the out of season? Third. Yep, not including Chicago, fifteen left. Yeah, so I mean, at this point, anything can happen. I keep looking at the away record. I want to see us above five hundred in that category to feel really comfortable in the playoffs. Uh, but this is totally the year where anything can happen. Thirteen and sixteen away right now. Do you okay? If which of the top three teams, Sixers, Nets. Bucks, would you feel most comfortable against and least comfortable against? Least against Philly, just because we nobody has anyone that can guard Embiid. The Celtics actually have been, I think, the best team guarding Embiid historically over the last few years, and that's because we had Al Horford and uh, Aaron Baines helped out a bit too. We don't have anybody we, that can guard. We him didn't more. have either of them last season when we swept the the Sixers. Yeah, but yeah. Philly was on their last run with Brett Brown. That's an easy explanation. And and Embiid was out of shape. I don't I think he's in better shape now. 
I fear the Brooklyn Nets the most out of those three. I do, I do too, if they're healthy. By yeah. far. It's not even close for me. I, I would re- most like to play the Milwaukee Bucks. So we got a bunch of we got some I'm, good. I'm games. not sure. I don't know. I don't know if I agree. I'm I'm torn between them and the Sixers. I I I just kind of think we can beat the Sixers if we're fully healthy, which we were very much not when we played them recently. Yeah, we've Josh, had some good I, games. You think I'm crazy? No, not at all. I I don't think you're. I don't. Th- I never think you're crazy, Mike Nickoff. That's factually incorrect. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about the top three teams, not the, the bottom what, six or whatever. I mean, I don't. I want to avoid playing the Miami Heat in the first round. I want to avoid playing Toronto in the first round, Charlotte even, if they're healthy. Wait, so so last week, before before we kind of wrap this up, Josh, I, I was saying I thought, and this was after the, whatever, I think the Celtics won like two games on their current streak, maybe, maybe three. They had just beat Denver, I think. Um, that I thought this was real, and and th- this was a different Celtics team. Are you guys? Do you guys co-sign with that now? Totally. But I don't think yeah. that you knew that after two games. I think you can tell that after six. Games I in a row. I quite literally said that yeah. after two games. <laughs> he said I was ready to, to make a bet on it. He didn't want that. You didn't. You didn't make that offer on the pod. You you said you were considering doing it after. I was ready. I was so ready <laughs> to lose that bet. Anyway, you may you may have. Let's see. We have to win tonight. Um, all right, Josh, you're gonna. Where, where were you yeah, taking we, us? We got some good games coming up. We've I think we've had two of the best games of the season with this Denver game, um, and then obviously the Golden State game recently. I still think this Minnesota Minnesota game was was kind of an entertaining, good game to watch, where there was zero defense played and a lot of shot making, um, and we just had to keep up with that type of a team. Um, but coming up this week, I mean, we got Phoenix and Brooklyn back to back Thursday and Friday, two of the top teams, if not the two best teams in the whole league right now. Um, and, uh, to me, that's like a, that these are the tests and we're, we're hitting our groove at the right time. Um, but it's, it's a fun time to be a Celtics fan with these games coming up this week. Chicago, Phoenix, Brooklyn, and Charlotte. That Brooklyn game is—I've got that circled. And Phoenix has been playing really well. Phoenix is the best team in the league right now. They move the ball just like the Utah Jazz, um, except they're better defensively. Excuse me, Josh, but the Celtics are the best team in the league right now in terms of win streak. That's correct. They're, they're tied. tied with the New York Knickerbockers That's right. MVP <laughs> candidate. Uh, what's his Julius name? Randall. All right. Oh, man. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. This is Celtics Pride for Celtics Blog. <laughs>